The following presentation was recorded at the Buddhist Society of Victoria, Malvern East, Australia. Please visit our website at bsv.net.au. Most Venerable Nisarano and uh, the President and the members of this uh, monastery community and those who are joining us online. Um, let's start this uh, discussion today and thank you very much for giving this opportunity, inviting me to uh, meet all of you and have this uh, talk. Um, I'm very happy to meet Venerable Nisarino. We met first in Bandaravela in a retreat long back and uh, I'm so happy to see him again here. Today's uh, topic that I uh, proposed was cultural Buddhism or the message of the Buddha. I selected this topic because I feel in you know in my journey also I I first entered into Buddhism and became a Buddhist monk as a cultural you know it was what made me to become Buddhist because my parents were Buddhist and the the background I was grown up was a Buddhist background um, so even without knowing much, I became a Buddhist. That is how I became a Buddhist. And in my, in my journey, in one particular moment, I, f I, I found that um, I am still to understand the message of the Buddha. And that is the point. Uh, I changed my journey. So this is in a way sharing with you my own journey of and then come to the discussion. So uh, so it is not directly go into the Dhamma and to explain something. Before that, I, I like to share my story and then to go to the discussion. Here what I see, the monks like Venerable Nisarano, then Venerable uh, Ajahn Brahm and uh, Bhante Sujato and the most venerable monks I have met here, they become monks, so they become Buddhist, not as cultural something. They In their journey, they come to a point and then they start to look in at this message and then they you know, turn their journey. They, since they are not from that, they don't have a heavy cultural baggage, uh, they can straightly go to the message and see what is there, what the Buddha has taught to, you know, find peace. But since we have been grown in cultural background, our journey is different. So first I like to share my story. I was born in eastern part of Sri Lanka and uh, there, as usual, uh, you know, I, I, I am a Buddhist, I was a Buddhist because of my family background. And when I saw monks, 
I found they are so calm and the, particularly the monk who came to teach in my school, uh, he was very calm person and I wanted to be one of them. I, I, that is the starting point. In fact, I went to the school by bicycle and uh, on the way back, uh, the monk woke up to the monastery. So I didn't want to pass him by passing the riding the bicycle. So I walk with him until the junction come and turn and then I start riding the bicycle. So that is the starting point of my journey. And every day I walk with him and, you know, while talking and then they I started, you know, I wanted to be a monk and I struggled, uh, you know, talking, uh, requesting uh, my mother to give me the permission. And at the end, when I was 13, they gave me the permission to join the order. There I became a monk in down south Sri Lanka in Gaul, that is called Paragoda Viharaya. Those who are from Sri Lanka know in Gamperalia novel there is a particular place called uh, Paragoda Viharaya. That is my base monastery. I started reciting and memorizing things and then Again, as the Karaniya Mitra Sutra we recite here, I started, you know, uh, reciting things, memorizing things, and doing pujas and all that. Now I am a monk. And then certain things happen in my journey in a way uh, challenge me, or I started questioning uh, is this what? the Buddha expected us to do. The first incident is, it was the war time, there was armed conflict in Sri Lanka, and uh, soldiers, Buddhists were coming to the down south. We go to do the final rites there. And the same stories I hear there, uh, the, this youth, he sacrificed his life to safeguard the country and the religion, the Dhamma. And there was one funeral. The, the, when I go there, I saw it was almost a mud hut and the poor mother and only son. Mother was working at a tea state and they are very poor people and her only son has passed away in the war. Now I felt, you know, how poor the mother is. Her only hope is no more. And then after three months, there was the dana, and the mother, I am sure she has got compensation, and she offered the monastery a set of sofa and, you know, chairs. I felt so sad. This mother doesn't have chairs at her house. Now she is offering the monastery a set of chairs. I felt a little bit, you know, how we are going to accept it. And uh, that is one particular moment and in a way uh, about my role. Second incident was my elder brother was in police. He was working at Ampara Mahavya police station and they, in the in his duty, uh, as many people, I lost my elder brother in that conflict. Now, 
how to how to handle the pain i have been preaching or i have been i you know listening so many preachings how to you know everything is anicca everything is changing and we have to accept that now i have lost my elder brother and i felt i don't know how to handle the pain though i have been listening so many of preachings the other thing was how i think about those people who used the gun against my brother theoretically i have learned to develop loving kindness even to the conflicting person not only to yourself to a loving ones you know to the conflicting people now i have someone conflicting and uh, someone who has uh, used the gun against my brother but i don't know how to practice metta meditation it took time for me to connect with what i have memorized what i have learned in the class uh, there one evening i was sitting under a natri at our institute around 9 pm i have switched off all the lights i was in the dark just sitting there and there first time i don't know how it happened first time i could develop my thoughts like whoever who happened to take a gun against my brother may he or she be well may he or she be happy even that person is no more like my brother may that person also find the ultimate peace the way my brother realized the ultimate peace that moment i felt first time oh this is what buddha you know has taught us this is how uh, it is a healing method metta meditation is a healing way of healing ourselves there i again look at the way i develop my thoughts i never develop my thought uh the person who whoever who take a gun against my brother no whoever who happened to take a gun against my brother now i connect with the conditional genesis theory that no one is born to this world to be a dangerous person no one is born to this world to take a gun no one is born to this world to kill others all the children are almost the same innocent children then how a person a child who was born to this world as very innocent person how he you know grow up and one point choose that violent past is it only his or her fault or is it something to do with the conditions and the atmosphere the education the role models he or she has seen in her development and then i could connect with the story of angulimala angulimala was not born to this world to be a you know someone to be a killer he was in that a story we are introduce him as 
ahinsak or innocent one and of course he was an innocent ch- child and he did not choose the violent path because he wanted or it was his desire he happened to do that because of the friends and the teacher and sometimes with good will to show the loyalty to the teacher angulimala chose that violent path and now there is a dangerous person a killer now there are two options one is king's approach king wanted to safeguard the those people who are suffered by the killer angulimala to safeguard them the king decides to remove the result or oh, you know the killing angulimala killer angulimala the buddha intervened before the king and changed the causes and the atmosphere that changed the killing akila angulimala to a saint angulimala and after that angulimala never did a slight as wrong in his journey and in sri lankan culture when a pregnant mother when there is a pregnant mother monks are invited to bless the mother and the you know there we recite not any other sutra but angulimala sutra and angulimala sutra we say that the words of angulimala after he renouncing the violent path and this is the journey if i share with you the change in me and uh, until then i was a cultural buddhist just doing rituals just reciting things but i didn't know how to connect with what i have been reciting what i have been preaching until one moment i could connect with my own pain my own experience with the dhamma i have learned so this is the base of i mean the, my my journey the turning point since we have been born in countries maybe sri lanka myanmar thailand or any other we are born you know it is that the buddhism has been introduced to those countries at least 2000 years before and it has been living with people when something is with people and there is something living a culture develops and we cannot stop that and culture is something rich but it is not always innocent sometimes hierarchies our our tensions and sometimes competitions and instead of renouncing gaining things and all these things will come into that culture this if we are not mindful and perhaps in a particular point we will miss the core message of the buddha instead of renouncing we will gradually come into a point instead of giving up accumulation instead of 
renouncing we to how to get more and more and then instead of you know ending the suffering we will come to a point and how to extend our life and uh, the you know so the very teaching of the buddha and the very uh, message of the buddha will be in you no know, converted into something instead of giving up accumulating and extending whatever we can and gaining and not only that competition uh, all these things will come into religion and this is what i mean by whether it is cultural buddhism or the message of the buddha uh, and sometimes um the country that i am living uh, i feel if we can uh, all together have this kind of discussion and to go back to the original message then solving the problems that we are facing uh you know very easy that is how i feel solving the problems because it is very easy but it is not that easy to change our attitudes and uh, to sometimes to give up certain practices that has been developed over time and uh since we have identify ourselves with those practices and culture it is something like giving up our noble culture something you know it is very difficult so this is the point i i suggest that uh, instead of cultural buddhism in a way it is kind of heavy baggage that we have and how to how to come out of that you know without without harming anyone without hurting anyone how to come back to the path that is the challenge that we are facing here i like to um, you know add little more and then uh, venerable bhante we can go for question and answer session right so from there i started how i can be the solution or how i can uh, contribute to develop the solution instead of contributing to escalate the problem or you know make it bigger there i found after conflict after an armed conflict what buddhism can offer that was the question i have there after the conflict there were discussions going for reconciliation and it is a very good thing after a conflict people are divided there are heartbroken people there are people who have lost their loved ones and thinks each other as enemy and it is a ground for not for metta or loving kindness it is a ground for hate and anger animosity so i think religious people have a role to play now what we have to offer have they to offer to that kind of situation the reconciliation model that we saw was to identify people as victim 
perpetrator and bystanders victims are those who have lost their loved ones their property or face violence so they are the uh, victims now who are the perpetrators perpetrators are the people who have done wrong most probably will be military people now third party are the majority bystanders bystanders has no role they are neutral they are not part of the this this discussion now the discussion is how to help victims there as part of bringing uh, justice to them giving justice to them is part of healing and then to give justice to them it is that it is needed to bring perpetrators before court or you know justice to any something the process now we see as victim as victim perpetrator as perpetrator and then bystanders bystanders they are the majority they have no role this is the approach to for the reconciliation but based on my experience and based on the conditional genesis theory what we can propose is that there are no such one identity if you know imagine my brother was in uh, service he went to mahawaya area with a gun to it was patrolling the road before opening the road for commuters to you know ordinary people to uh, travel that is where he and his members were ambushed now imagine my brother had a gun if he used his gun and someone died the other side someone how the parents feel about my brother the parents will look at my brother as a someone enemies a perpetrator who has done wrong but i know my brother is not only the you know someone military officer he was a loving brother he was a loving son to my mother and father and to my brothers and sisters very loving brother and in the village he was the popular sportsman and so many other identities now if we take him as only as someone who has used the gun he his identity is only the perpetrator and his story he didn't want to be a military officer his dream was to become a school teacher and he worked in the school as a voluntary teacher but in back home in sri lanka decisions were taken or made by politicians and my brother didn't get that chance because he was not favored by politician now if there was a justice to my brother my brother would have been a school teacher and even today he is living so now can someone name my brother as a perpetrator disregarding his he also is a victim and then 
whoever who have been identified as perpetrator he also is a victim he was not born to this world to take a gun or do something wrong so that reconciliation model which understand perpetrator and then victim and bystander doesn't fit with the teaching of the buddha so based on the conditional genesis theory there is no victim yes there is but the same time he is or she is part of the perpetrator and there is no perpetrator purely that person also is a victim i by and bystanders bystanders are not some people who has nothing to do with the conflict as an example i have been teaching in a university i taught history if i have taught history like this community has built the uh, civilization and that community has come from outside as invader then i have contributed to the conflict you know one way or the other we have contributed to the conflict and not only that we can say i am not affected because none in my family is affected but if we have watched the news we have heard of bad stories then we are affected then we are also a victim so based on buddhist teaching our approach to reconciliation is different there are no such clear cut victims perpetrators and bystanders instead we all are wounded people we all are wounded then what we need is healing so there what we can contribute from buddhist point of view we all are wounded since we have been wounded we need healing if we are not healed we will continue to wound others and it will become kind of vicious circle since i am wounded since my wounds are not healed i will wound others those who get wounds maybe my students maybe my people the devotees through my dhammadesana i will wound them i will tell them you have to protect this and that then they will think you know so this will continue they will be school teachers they will continue to wound their students this will be a vicious circle so to stop this what we need is healing and why why how what is the method of healing in buddhism that is metta meditation that is metta meditation that help us to look at the other person whoever he or she is not born to this world to harm or do something wrong children are innocent people if they are grown in a very caring atmosphere they will be someone you know a very harmless and uh, non-violent and helping the world if we if they are poor if they are wounded if we, if they are treated differently and then they will start jealous hatred anger animosity and when we see that we will not angry with them instead we can develop 
you know, empathy and develop loving kindness. More and more we develop loving kindness, we will be healed. We can intervene through our words and through our works and whatever the way, not to continue the wounding process, we can stop wounding process. Instead, we can engage in healing process. So, this is the starting just to share with you my story and the instead of cultural Buddhism, going back to our message and how to connect that teaching to our day-to-day -day practices and to apply that to change the path of violence and towards healing and how to how we can contribute to develop a healed community, healed society. So uh, with this, I like to uh, open this for kind of discussion and venerable. Uh, My bad. Oh, hi. Sorry. Uh, thank you very much for the talk. That was very, very interesting. Um, I was wondering if you could maybe, um, since you brought up cultural Buddhism, as, um, particularly in Sri Lanka, I was wondering if um, you could maybe express your thoughts about the link between cultural Buddhism and uh, the politics of a country. Um, for example, um, you know, you have cultural Buddhism, then you've got maybe politicians who, or um, politics who don't necessarily act I guess, who may call themselves Buddhist but don't actually act so so Buddhist. And I'm wondering maybe if you had your thoughts about the link between um, cultural Buddhism and and politics and how that made um, almost, ex if, if that sort of explains um, behaviours that may not be considered Buddhist in that sense, if that makes sense. Um, well, yes, that culture and the the way society work uh, it is very difficult to separate them uh, they are working hand in hand and it is very much interwoven um, um, if i understood the question correctly uh, what he is asking that the political can yeah yeah so um, you know i do not wish to go much about the political part of the world, the that country, uh, but the it is it has become part of the you know religious places has become centers of uh, politicians to come and uh, uh, develop I mean improve their image and. Uh, get the uh, you know see many people have come here and they very much happy to be here and 
you know, post themselves as patron of religion and that way they are using the religious culture to come to power. It is So it is not that something, two different things. It is very much interwoven. Thank you. Along the same lines as he was questioning, uh, Swami Mohansen, um, is it a question of, uh, so this question of identity is uh, told to us with this, okay, that you have to protect the, cult the identity of your sort of, say, the culture. You're a Buddhist, so if you don't fight off, off well, if you're not kind of, do not have a sort of a, um, if you don't protect your religion as it is, um, then you're not protecting your identity, so you have to go forth and protect that. So what are your ideas about that? So I'm going to say with, connected with the identity and the Dhamma or Buddhism. Yeah. Um, uh, identity is something, construction, right? It is, it is a construction. And uh, in the Dhamma, we discuss all these uh, sanskara that we have, you know, uh, they are constructed things and to identify them as constructed and uh, you know then you have no attachment with that and this path is if I am correct Venerable Thanisuro uh, will explain uh, our path is to getting you know uh, getting uh, how to say getting rid of the identity, if I have any identity, I'm universal. I don't have frontiers. I don't have, you know, since I am born somewhere, I need a document to come to here because so I have passport, but I don't belong to any any place or any, you know, so that is the path. Buddha doesn't have any that kind of identity, though he came from a community. And so, uh, and that is one thing. Second is, in this journey, there is nothing to protect, and what is to protect, right? And uh, it is to practice, and that's all. So if we go back to the core message, and there you will find there is nothing for us to protect, and things are bound to be changed, and uh, even the moment that we think of protecting something, it has been changed. So. So it is the whole idea of protecting is uh, delusion. So, so it is in it. Uh, you know, the idea of protecting something has no base. Uh, you know, in Buddhism. Yeah. Um, yes. Uh, thank you, Bante, for your wisdom, and hello uh, from Florida. USA, how did you settle your mind in meditation when experiencing anger? Thank you. Well, uh, when we see the process of things happen, and uh, you know, whatever that create ang anger is something that uh, everything is bound to be changed and everything is in that process and one when we do not re i mean we we forget that and then something hurt us you know that is the point that we start the 
clashing with and if you know that is a moment of in the process of changing and i am clashing with a particular point i it is the fatality of you know having that kind of clash because it is bound to be change and uh, something i don't uh like then i start the clash and imagine i you know all the knowledge i got about those people who who has used the gun uh i all the knowledge supported me not to develop loving kindness but to in a way hate them right naming and everything was you know they are they have one identity only they are bad people only and uh, when we see this you know the uh, conditional genesis theory that is the base when we develop more and more when we start thinking more and more the interconnectedness and interdependence and uh, unceasingly changing then i think uh, it is not that we we get rid of anger we realize there is nothing for us to angry with that is the point i think it is uh, there will be techniques to postpone anger or handle anger but what i see it is not the tactic but to when more and more you see things are you know always changing and interconnected and interdependent and then we i think we realize there is nothing to get you know so that is what helped me to face such situations uh thank you uh my question is um following the theme of the talk i'm wondering what a buddhist approach to um the idea of punishment would be I don't recall hearing much about what the Buddha said about in his time of what should be done to wrongdoers like um apart from cuz they obviously get their own karma and that sort of a thing but on top of that um wondering if there's a any sort of consensus or I've heard of some religions will say they should abolish punishment or even go that extreme but I'm just wondering what a Buddhist you know idea uh opinion on that would be thank you thank you um uh we are living in a country where there is a legal system there are institutions to implement certain things and uh, we are not going into you know uh, suggest that uh, whether we should stop that kind of process or not that is not the area that we are working but for as you know the buddhist point of view is that uh change the process and make the uh, process healthier and uh, develop um where all people all the people feel that they are safe they have a space and they are respected and there the the space for violence or space for uh hurting each other become less and less and um in buddhism the you know instead of the conditional genesis theory that uh, buddhism suggest us to be mindful mindfully engage that means whatever we do uh the responsibility we have to take there we you know 
yes the conditions create certain situations for people to go into such violent path that is true at the same time we accept those people have the ability to think and take decisions so it is not that totally it is other factors uh, the solely it is other factors but you also can think and decide so it is uh, the person has the responsibility so what i suggest if uh, the you know if the legal system and punishment it should be not that uh, retributive justice but instead restorative justice that is to give the opportunity that person to change and come back to the society and to contribute so it if it is retributive justice that is just to punish that in a way it is like you have done this wrong thing and so that you have to you know it is in a way um it is based, it is not based on the conditional genesis theory so i i mean, i'm not someone to give a you know last word on the top i mean the question that you raise but if i am to you know say something it it has to be restorative justice giving opportunity for the person to change more and more and then to take back to the society Uh, Pante, this is a question about meditation. I used to do long hours uh, daily meditation, which caused me be able to hear others' thoughts. I thought I was losing my mind, and I stopped my meditation practice. How to meditate without gaining supernatural power? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, Bantini uh, Sereno, um, can you help me? <laughs> so, as, as you might have heard, this person is feels that they've developed the capability to um, to be aware of other people's thinking due to the meditation. And of course, this is one of the uh, the abhinyas, uh, direct knowledges that the the Lord Buddha talks about that you can develop that, and it is possible. Um, and it is hard to distinguish if it's actually um, a you're actually um, aware of people's thoughts accurately or it's actually coming from yourself. I think that's, that's a very difficult thing to decide. But what is very useful in, in this case would be to develop metta or kindness, friendliness, and then to... It depends on what, how you're experiencing the, 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 that awareness of other people's thoughts. Is it coming in a negative way? that it's impacting on your mind in a negative way. Because if we could be aware of other people's thoughts and feelings, we would be aware. 
It's pretty similar to ours. We would be aware what suffering actually. That's what what would come through. And so to have this um, kindness to oneself to, and therefore to other beings is very, very useful because conditioning the mind to, have, to be in a very positive space when it perhaps picks up other people's thoughts and feelings. So I think that's what I, I would suggest. I don't know if Bhante has another suggestion for that. Um, and of course, you know, if the, pu- the mind is pure, what you will experience won't be something of a negative character. I don't know this person, what, when she was picking, or he or she was picking up these thoughts, whether it was being experienced as a, a negative or uh, something that uh, they um, felt wasn't useful or they felt disturbed by it. But I have heard of monks who have that ability and they can do it, okay? They do it when they choose because actual fact, Everybody's worried about somebody else reading their minds, but got bad news for all of us, myself included. It's usually the same stuff, <laughs> the same rubbish. So, so you don't really feel that, you know, it's, 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 it's something that can give rise to wisdom and really compassion, I feel, anyway, because you just feel, ah, wow, you know, if you think in this way, it will generate feelings that are going to just lead to more problems in our life, more suffering, more conflict. So very important that when we meditate that they have the hindrances reduced, panchanivarana reduced, and particularly, you know, any of the negative states of mind coming from ill will. And of course, this is where metta is a very, very useful um, approach to begin any meditation. I'd recommend that for the person. Then the mind's in a good state and then um, whatever they experience, they will experience, they will have a pure mind when they relate to it or a purer mind, a mind free, freer of the defilements. So Bhante, do you want to add to anything like that about picking up people's thoughts and because of meditation. Most people are dying to do that, you know. <laughs> they, they really think, oh, if I could have a, an abhinya, I could, you know, see heavenly beings or I could hear, uh, you know, things at a great distance or if I could read people's thoughts, that'd be fantastic, you know, it'd be really good. Or I can walk through walls, if I could walk on water, if I could float through the air. They want to do that. <laughs> But um, that's not the point of the Buddha's teaching, of course, <laughs> in the end. That's a byproduct that can happen. Mm-hmm. What we are really doing is liberating the mind. What are we liberating the mind from? Ignorance, but also all the negative qualities, the greed, hatred and delusion. That's what it's for. And if these things come, if they're beneficial for ourselves and others, fine. If it gives rise to more insight, good. But if it doesn't, then not to pursue that is because it's not worthwhile for us and our practice and development of the path. Um, thank you very much for your personal sharing. It's It helps to connect with um, who we are and everything you say uh, has has so much of truth in it. And um, my question is, the world needs this approach that we can all be victims or we can all be the change makers, that we can live in harmony. 
And because of, um, and I know there are friends who are looking at this solution where by the people, for the people, especially in countries like Sri Lanka where religion is very strong and can also be very dividing. So my question is, um, have you, is there any evidence that this is happening in Sri Lanka to resolve the conflicts by becoming aware of your meta personality and rising above um, for to just heal the wounds. Um, I think that's probably because I have friends who would be very interested in maybe hearing more about that and and you know being part of that. And and um, I'll stop there. But thank you so much. Thank you. Um, yes, this whole journey here in in Australia and New Zealand for two weeks is part of it. I, uh, you know, there is institute called Valpolera Hula Institute that we promote this uh, healing and using metta as a tool for healing and uh, to develop that. Uh, I am heading that institute. Um, Today in this journey I have been here, I will be here for two and a half months, already one month is over. I am visiting people who are, you know, um, so many migrations has happened. And first wave was burger people, 1960s, and then Tamil people and the professionals from Sinhala community. Because of various reasons, if you go, in, you know, you will see the wounds are there. And uh, uh, the wounds will be different, different, but they are with wounds. Even those who have, you know, um, whoever who have come here, they, in a way, they have decided to come here because either they don't find future for their children back home and the, oh, uh, there is no opportunity, fair opportunity or, you know, they, but still they will be, while their physical body is here, they are mentally living back home. That is how it is. So they all are, I think they are with wounds. And uh, what I wanted in this journey to meet more and more people, those who supported my journey here, I, I asked them to organize. I want to meet burger people. I want to meet Tamil people. I want to meet people, whoever who have, who have come here. I want to see what is happening with Aboriginal people. And I want to see what is happening in New Zealand, Maori people, and the, you know, to learn more and more and enrich my experience and go back and to start the work. Before coming here, I have been teaching in a university. And uh, I, you know, it was there in my mind, this is not my role. At the end, I resigned from there. And I came here for two and a half months time and go back and fully dedicate for this message. And uh, there are people, there are young monks who thinks the same line, what is needed to give them awareness and this kind of discussion they have not been open to. So uh, there is a kind of uh, that, uh, how to say, a major level of kind of 
how to say that um, the the accepted version of analyzing thing na, that is connected with power and all that so this approach is perhaps they have not been open to i have heard that sometimes they come and say we have never you know uh, heard this way of looking at the problem so that is something i'm sure uh, i have gone to many places in sri lanka including north and east and to rajangane and the suburb areas i have not met someone who doesn't understand this message when i when we convey the way we you know so i have good hope this is possible and there are people who follow yeah yeah uh thank you so much venerable uh your talk was really really inspiring um and I, I i found myself quite emotional from it so thank you um i was just wondering if you could talk about uh that theory you mentioned um conditional genesis uh and how it fits it, is it a buddhist thing or is it something else ah uh, it is buddhist thing it is something based that you know um there are uh eightfold path the samadhi samasankappa and the whole thing that uh, the whole concept anicchata that is everything is bound to be change unceasingly change and change happen not something like miracle it is a cause and effect so there uh, everything is interconnected everything is interdependent nothing is absolute so this is uh, we you know this is the base in buddhism so yeah yeah thank you yeah um about this uh, online question yeah is there is there a difference between how buddhism in practice between thailand and sri lanka based on culture well uh, i have no much experience uh, thailand tradition about thailand tradition uh, but i think since myanmar thailand sri lanka we have very similar uh, but uh, there will be difference in culture i'm sure um and I, i i have i don't have the expertise to answer that question because i haven't i have been to thailand but not much uh you know aware about how they think or how they work i'm so, sorry i don't know much about it yeah thank thank you very much for your um sharing your ideas I have a kind of a two part question um one is you talked about uh cultural buddhism versus going to the original message so do you believe that this is also uh, applicable to other religions number one question second question is that um now we live in significantly different time especially uh, you know from a materialistic perspective how 
uh, how it is practical or what is the practical solution to adhere to the original message uh, or original Buddhism at this time, which is like 20, 25, 2600 years later. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Um, uh, I, uh, the first question, yes, I think uh, every religion has to, you know, uh, you know, over time, uh, they have shifted from the core message. Uh, in every religion, I think there are two parts. One is contextual things. The other part is universal things. And every religion you will have some contextual teaching. Uh, if it is Buddhism, 6th century BC, the Ganga Valley region, and particularly, you know, in that context, certain teachings are maybe disciplinary rules are applicable to the context. And even Islam or other religion, there will be certain things that are applicable only to the context. And then the universal applicable teaching and uh, I think um, most of if I you know I'm not an expert to talk about the church but in the journey uh, we see it developed into such a level that even to engage in wars that is part of history and they within the Institute the argument comes and uh, reformation starts and certain Christian priests from uh, Latin America and other countries, they have developed uh, liberation theology that is, you know, in a way going back to uh, the, the message of the Jesus and the liberation theology. And so this dialogue is happening within the religion they, you know, in certain religions it will be, you know, very minor level, but in certain religions in a major level, uh, I think this is something constant uh, struggle. So uh, if I answer your question, yes, this has to be the, you know, always to be mindful. If we are not mindful, we will uh, be, you know, uh, I am I, not, I don't know how to say it in English, that uh, the river, the way the, that it flow and the Buddha suggests Patisotagami going against the tide. So if we are not mindful, we will be, you know, uh, very safely, you know, floating uh, in a, uh, the, yeah, so not against the tide, but you know, so I think every religion, this is the matter. And I think uh, we, have, you know, have to be mindful and always connect with the uh, earliest message. And then to, you know, then I think, uh, so it, it, yes, the answer is yes. Second question, yes, we are living in a very materialistic world. Um, and uh, what is promoted is consumerism to gain more and more, and that is the success, that is how it is uh, presented. However, again, I think everything is bound to be changed, and uh, we should not think that this is the zenith of the journey, or uh, even uh, within that materialistic world, 
perhaps even after gaining everything whatever you want still you will feel kind of emptiness and uh, unsatisfaction so i think still uh, whatever you know still what we are discussing is very much applicable and valid so um this is how i see even after getting whatever you want after that still you will have that emptiness and un- unsatisfaction and desire and the competition um there i think when you know to getting rid of all these things and uh, defilements that is where we will find the peace and happiness uh, in our life so i think even in this society this is this is applicable that is how i see i don't know whether i answered the, but this is how i see yeah thank you uh thank you so much for sharing your story uh, and also for highlighting that subtle difference between reconciliation process and the healing process and how you found healing for the pain of your loss of your brother and how that's relevant to sri lankan situation where there's so many people on all sides with a lot of pain and do you do you think that we can embark on a healing process that could become a wider experience for a much wider community of sri lankans uh, because i am so inspired listening to your story and seeing that this is really the need of the moment thank you um you know uh it is for us to start and uh, to continue and uh, when um, you know it is okay to share my you know personal things now so uh, when i started this there were no you know many people around and now you know i am traveling all over australia darwin to perth i you know everything is organized by the people here so how they came to you know it is the journey when you know continue to work whenever a conflict starts i intervened and uh, and they whatever the way we could intervene thanks to the social media we got the chance to spread this message and there are many people now uh, appreciate this message and help to you know develop and we started working with two schools one is in tunukai uh, the tamil medium school uh who affected school there people and then kabetigolleva halmillavatiya school and we continue to work and the experience we got is amazing and uh, uh you know in my journey i uh, after this my brothers incident and they, then i got the chance to be part of uh, mandela dialogue and i went to cape town for the first workshop and second one was in batiklo that is where my brother faced that you know um there 
I we could select there were options and the group one group could go to meet the interfaith group another group to you know so among those options there was option to go and meet former LTT members I selected that and I went there first time I met them until then I was developing my metta loving kindness whoever who happened to take a gun and then there was no face or you know whoever now they have a face who are coming there first time i listened to their stories there i felt my brother's stories my brother is more privileged has a you know but one particular widow who was sharing her story there i felt there is no healing there is no something called my healing unless i do something for the healing of those who, you know and then onwards i started going to northern part of sri lanka particularly particularly new year period when i give a sermon people offer things and i always encourage to offer books and pens for the children and i went to tunukai malawi and uh, there i was amazed the way people welcomed me so warm and i couldn't believe even after 30 years of war this much of connection and so i have always i have the kind of you know uh, positive uh, attitude if we work for 10 years there will be a different generation and uh, we can make the change and particularly working with children that is what we young generation not the yeah so uh, and how i see i do not think something to see within my lifetime but i think 100 years of work we have to do our part of the work and without expecting any result you know see the result within our lifetime and then yes whatever happens we can so i am sure this will work yeah 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 yeah, oh. yeah just a comment from online uh bante thank you for your talk it's very beautiful and have helped me to deal with sadness for the suffering in the world thank you thank you thank you thank you